This is Ian Hartley. And I'm Warren Kay. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see Him more clearly, love Him more dearly, and follow Him more nearly. As we begin our podcast this evening, I just want to remind you that um, you can find the podcast on rediscoveringgod.ca website, where there is often a PDF document that we've been uh, using that you can download. And uh, also you can use that website to share the podcast with a friend. And also Monday night, we have a Zoom group discussion for people that are listening to the podcast to join in, ask questions, and uh, just hang out and uh, get acquainted. And so just sign into Zoom on Monday evening at 7.30 Mountain Time and uh, put in the number 403-506-9201. However, this next Monday, that would be August the 2nd, we will not have that Zoom call due to other commitments, but we will pick it up again on the 7th or on the 9th, the following Monday evening. So Ian, introduce our topic for tonight. So thanks, Warren. We're talking about uh, loss, uh, coping with loss, grieving, uh, different ways to describe the same activity or experience. And Warren, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Billy Engelbrecht. So that last name, can you say the last name? Engelbrecht. Engelbrecht. Yeah, pretty good. Something to do with an angel. Billy lives in Fort McMurray and we've known each other for a few decades. Uh, we met in South Africa. Uh, we're both natives of South Africa, so. Um, we get along from time to time. <laughs> and uh, Billy has experienced significant loss in his life. And he's also a trained uh, um, theologian and has some training in psychology and counseling too. So he's well equipped to talk about this topic. Anything else you want to ask him? Well, welcome, Willie. Uh, good to have you join us. And uh, as Ian has uh, described, you, you come at this topic from two important perspectives, a theoretical and experiential. And uh, so we're looking forward to hearing from you tonight. And the twine really hardly meets. <laughs> That's the worst part. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, um, uh, Billy, uh, your last name, Engelbrecht, yes. what does that mean? Something about angels. Yeah. Uh, it's a little hill uh, between uh, Germany and Holland. Uh, so it either means a brach, which is a, like a fort, or a hill where, where the little township is. So it's an angel fort or an angel hill uh, that was used. So that when uh, Napoleon Bonaparte decided that people in Holland had needed surnames, uh, the Dutch were, thought it was funny, so they chose surnames, which was all weird and wonderful. And for some unknown reason, my forefathers decided that they wanted to be on the Angel Mountain or the Angel Fort. Are you, are you claiming any genetic uh, angelic characteristics? Well, you know, fortunately, I'm the son of God, so I must do that as well. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, Billy, you lost a 16-year-old son. The 16-month. 16 16-month 16 son, yeah. yeah. And uh, tell us a bit about the incident, and then we're going to talk about how you coped with that loss. It happened at night. Uh, a military uh, ambulance was driving on the wrong side of the road without lights uh, in the middle of the well, not middle of night, 8, 9 o'clock at night, and it was cloudy and he couldn't see where he was. And then we came over a small little hill and the next moment I saw this vehicle on my side of the road, I swerved out, he swerved to the same direction, hit my car behind the 
rear wheel and flipped us over a number of times and my baby boy was lying on my wife's belly because he was not feeling too well that night and uh, he flew out the window and the car rolled right onto him and he was dead instantly. Oh my. So uh, we had to try and find him in, in, in the darkness and finally we felt under the car and there we found him. Oh. So what was your immediate reaction? Well, I was very worried about my wife and uh, the car stopped and she took uh, the boy and they drove off to the hospital, but she knew he was not going to make it. He, was, he wasn't breathing. He was dead. Hmm. And uh, I stayed alone with a wreck and got very angry with God, told him to never talk to me again and find his own way up in his eternal sky and leave me alone. And I was very angry, extremely angry, and I told him that. Mm. So I appreciate your transparency uh, about your feelings. Um, what were you doing at the time? I was a minister in a small little town called Sanin, and I was on my way to take a young lady to be in foster care. And she was sitting on the back seat. Nothing happened to her. Nothing happened to my wife. And uh, I only have some scars on my shoulder. And uh, yeah, and my son died. So I was, uh, this poor girl was to be put into foster care for a, for, a, for a year or two. And I was taking her to Johannesburg to be in foster care. Hmm. And uh, so your wife, I think her name was Sari. Yeah, she was known as Sari, yeah. And she reacted. It was very traumatic in her life, extremely traumatic. Uh, I remember that night uh, we were lying in a, a fellow pastor's house in Petersburg, and uh, which was far away from our home, and we were lying there, couldn't sleep that night, and she was cuddled up to me. And she said, you know, it's the awfulest thing in her life that has happened. But if she had to hold on to the baby and I was dead, she wouldn't know how she would have made it. Now there was somebody that felt the way she felt and somebody that could, could hold her and be kind of a comfort to her. So mm -hmm. uh, it had a long-reaching uh, thing in her life. My, my wife was quite a disciplinarian and uh, the, my boy being her first, she wanted him to be perfect. But uh, the one thing that really bothered her and was a result of this accident was she could never again punish, corporally punish on any of her children because she said, I punished him and he's dead and that punishment was unnecessary because he died. Mm. And and for the rest of her life, uh, that was something that she never got over. Um, she never she she changed the whole relationship to the next two kids that we had in in how she treated them and what she did. It it, it really put her and she she always admitted that this is something that she wished she didn't go through, but it it did change her parenting skills tremendously. Very interesting. She's a very resilient person to respond like that, you know, and see that uh, losing a 16-month-old child is less traumatic than losing a spouse. Well, it's, it is. And I think that a lot of times, in, especially in the world that we live today, um, people invest more in their children than they invest in their partner. Mm. And the partner is for life. Children are going to leave one way or another. And uh, it is unfortunate that, that we sometimes put more stock into our children than we do into our real, uh, to the most intimate relationship we have on this earth. Mm. That's a very interesting comment.
very appropriate too. So let's talk about your anger with God. Um, how did you resolve that? If you if you uh, consider death, one of the first things you, you want to do is avoid. You want to, if if I took another road, if I traveled tomorrow, if I did this, if I did that, you try and change the outcome. You, 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 you play games with yourself. And the more you play these games, the more your emotions run around. Why did God not stop this? God saved other people. Why doesn't he, why didn't he do this to me? Why doesn't he help? Is he a loving God? You know, I'm a, I'm a minister. You know, I'm, I'm supposed to be a blue-eyed child. And God does not save my child. Um, you know, this is not fair. Uh, I mean, I'm working for peanuts. And, and even though I don't look like a monkey, I still work for peanuts. And <laughs> God doesn't save my child. So you, you run around in circles. You're like a dog chasing your own tail. Because there's no reason. It's, it's a flood of emotions that runs in your life. And it's very circular. And sometimes you, you're like exhausted. And then uh, you trigger yourself or you start all over again. And, you, and it's very repetitious, this, this thing that you do with death. It's extremely repetitious and very damaging. Because the more you run that race, the more embedded those thoughts become in your life. Because it's emotion that causes you to, to say and think, and then your thought patterns become that which enforces your emotions to be totally. And this would take people away from God because God cannot answer the question of our emotions. He's not, when you want to search for God, it's not, God doesn't come and hold you. It doesn't, He's not physically touchable, so you can't feel God's emotion. You have to think God's emotion. You have to think about God in this situation and not feel it. But these feelings are so strong that when a person feels it, he cannot reason. It takes time for those feelings to either be shifted aside or something must happen. But some people never get out of it. Uh, so I can tell you, a preacher, I asked you a question and you're giving me a sermon. Uh, thank you. And I appreciate that. Uh, it's actually just the uh, prefix to my book. <laughs> so, uh, I, I want to know how you got over your anger with God or do you have residual anger? I think you, it took a while uh, for even, and you still had residual anger, but you had to come to a point. Well, I came to a point where I said, well, I have to find an answer. And there are a few books in the Bible that was, uh, people said, read these books, and I was studying them one at a time. The book of Ruth, the book of Esther, the book of Job, the stories in Daniel, and First Peter. Now, these five books in specifically answers this one question, why do bad things happen to God's people, and how does God react? And they all have different answers. They all have very unique answers. But these five books are, are very much into it. And then I read a Jewish guy's book, uh, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And I didn't like the book very much, but there was one thing that was extremely well said is that God cries with us, that God feels our pain. And when I went back to the Bible, I realized that God loves perfectly. And a person who is dead is not sitting in heaven, is not having the joy of God. He is unobtainable to God. So if God loved my son more than I could love him, then the death of my son would ruin God's life. Because it ruined mine. Imagine a million people dying a day. How ruined God's life is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good point. And when I started seeing my loss through the eyes of God, I realized that God was shouting 
even though he knew what was going to happen, God was there. And even though I was angry with God, I did apologize to him later. And even though I was angry with him and basically told him to, in no uncertain terms and in no beautiful language, to go to hell and move directly, God took that punishment without cleaving me. Mm. And I found this very particularly in the way that he treated Adam and Eve. Though they blamed him for their sin, he took it upon himself mm -hmm. and says, I, I don't blame you for blaming me. I will take that punishment. And that is something that I realized that God actually carries out our problem, that God actually carries our problems. God actually lives our problems. He didn't just live uh, coming to this earth. He actually lives our problems every day. Mm. So the verse, Jesus wept, um, probably has profound significance for you. Well, yes, when I try and explain it to people. But, but it, it never had that profound. What, what, what uh, was very profound to me was that God not only weeps, but the, the fact that he stops eternity and spends 30 odd years with us, um, that he actually came to know that God, and I, I would like to mention this if you don't mind, the two Job, uh, way Job saw God um, is very profound because I suddenly, when I read Job and I had this view of God, I realized that Job had a very bad view of God. He said, you know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So God is, in Job's mind, responsible for the death of his child mm. or his children and the loss of all his wealth mm. and the fact that his wife nags him. Mm. And I, all, I think, all his prayers. Yeah, uh, along that line, you know, yeah. why are you doing this to me? Yeah, no. yeah. and and then he says, you know, um, though he slay me, I will still worship him. Um, you know, as if God is a murderer, as God is this guy that stands there with a with a whip and beats us, and that's why his friends were not very far from him, were saying, "You must have done some terrible thing." Yeah for God to do that. And the answer that God gives in Job to me is immense. Uh, and if you don't mind, I'm going to just, he says to him, where were you when I made this earth? Where were you when I made this and made that and made this? And why does he answer him in that way? Because God had to answer him because of his view of God. Not trying to explain the situation, but change his view of God. Hmm. And I think when people have trouble in their life, the trouble and the devil works with that trouble to change and destroy our view of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then with our emotions, we then say, I don't want to serve a God that is supposed to be loving, and yet there's a holocaust, and there's coronavirus, and where is he, where is he, where is he? It's emotional questions, mm. uh, and not done in reason. Mm. And I think we have to get back, once we're in this pit of despair, whether it's whether you were, I mean, I was abused as a young child, uh, lost my child, lost my wife. These things happen to us in our lives. And you have to get somewhere away from your emotions to some logic because God is quite logical. And I find that when you understand God's predicament in a sinful world, he cannot prevent us from all the harm in this world. He said himself, you will have trouble on this earth. Yeah. So I want to ask you, um, how did your wife cope with this loss? Oh, Wait, is there a difference between yeah. the way males and females well, cope? Well, my wife actually had to, she read a lot, but then she had to start writing. My wife found 
that writing processed her mind so that she, she would read something and then she would write. Um, actually, most of her articles were published in the Signs of the Times in South Africa. She uh, wrote of, of her path from devastation to reconciliation, although she just said, my path was, that was the title of it. And um, it, it spoke about how she read the Bible and found God to be part of us. On my child's um, grave is written the words that comes out of Isaiah that uh, we will be held against God's breast and drink from God's breast. And that verse is actually on the, on the gravestone of my child, uh, that there is this hope of, of God actually suckling us while we are in pain and mm. succor changing our, our childhood into an adulthood understanding of God. Mm -hmm. You're quite a very emotional picture. Yeah, it, it, you see, you also have to get back to your emotions to heal that. And I think the way to heal it is, is through an understanding. Mm. Because when you understand, you can then feel differently. Mm -hmm. But you have to come to an understanding. Because mm. now your picture has changed. Your emotions can be changed. Now because now it has understanding. It's not just a, a burning fire. Yeah. So, you know, the classic emotions that a person experiences with loss, like shock, anger, uh, denial, denial, uh, and, 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 and trying to trade off, trade off, yeah. bargaining, bargaining. Yeah. You experienced those? I did. Yeah. And I experienced them in very different orders as well. And how long did it take you to get over this. Now, I know you never get over it, but the rawness of the experience. Actually, one of the funny things I found is that the more I spoke about it, the less raw I became. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that we need when people have a loss is to have sounding boards mm -hmm. that are quiet. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's where Job's friends went lost. Although they kept quiet for seven days, which I couldn't, and I take my hat off to, to those guys who are staying quiet for seven days. Now, can you imagine sitting, listening to a guy moaning and groaning, and you don't say anything for seven days? Just sit there out of respect. I mean, they were decent friends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Misguided, but decent. <laughs> they were decent friends. Uh, and yet, we need a sounding board. We need, but then we, I mean, as Job, Christ brings, God brings Job back to reason. Where were you when I made this? So, uh, John Eldridge, in his book, Wild at Heart, mm -hmm. says that we're all wounded by our parents emotionally. Mm -hmm. And he says, you, you will live with that wound and it will affect you until you tell somebody. Um, you need to find somebody you can trust, somebody that can listen, and then tell them about that wound. And once you've told them, it loses its power over you. It does. Uh, and then forgiveness, the guy who was driving the vehicle and caused the accident, and for, for my stupidity to drive on that road on the right side of which I should have driven. Forgiveness, I think, is the start. Uh, of cutting emotion. You have to forgive. Uh, we had to go to the court case. And once we finished with the court case and the guy was guilty, they asked us to come back and give a statement so that the uh, sentencing would influence the sentencing. And we said, no, we don't want to do that. The court must do their job. We've done out. And we, I walked past this guy and I actually felt sorry for him. Uh, I felt empathy because he was found guilty of manslaughter and reckless driving. And I did not want to be in that position. And forgiveness, I had to forgive this guy because I wanted to throttle him. Let's be honest. Well, while I was out that night, if he came close to me, I would have pounded him. Um, but 
you have to forgive. Forgiveness is the start. I think forgiveness is the most awesome weapon God has given man to start thinking. When you can't think, start forgiving. And I found from sorry is a way too that more sorry forgave. The easier it was for her to walk this path of pain and suffering. Mm. I'd like to uh, try a definition out on you. You're welcome. Uh, you know, my sister's daughter, 23-year-old daughter, was murdered. It was a political murder in South Africa. And uh, she forgave the perpetrators. And this is her definition of forgiven, forgiveness. When you give up your legal right to revenge. I, I, I like that definition, and, and it fits with what I think. For me, forgiveness became threefold. Forgiveness is to restore a relationship. So I had to forgive myself because you do feel anger. You do feel responsibility for it. So you, you have to forgive yourself. So I have to restore the relationship with myself, number one. Number two, you have to forgive so that this pain must end. Even though the person has not asked for forgiveness. It You're is talking a, about the perpetrator. Well, the situation, the fact that my son died. I mean, I actually got angry with him some ways that he died. You know, he should have stayed alive. Yeah, interesting. You know, I mean, people get angry at the... We get angry at other people for being idiots. Uh, you know, people say horrible things to you when your child dies. I mean, you know, God saw that he might have become a Hitler, so God killed him. Uh, horrible things people say to you. Uh, How did it feel when somebody said that? Well, you want to kind of punch them in the nose, you know. You know, oh, he was such a beautiful boy. God picked him to be a rose up in his, in heaven. So all of this made God the murderer. Yeah. And if God is the murderer, then where's his loving kindness? Where's, yeah. So it all distorts this view of God. Um, and I find Seventh-day Adventists sometimes get up with this idea that, oh, don't worry, you'll see him just, just now when Jesus comes, which is true. But my problem is, I don't see him now. You know, and when my other two kids grow up, one of the things that on anniversaries and things like that, my wife would always say, I wonder how he would have reacted now. Yeah. I wonder how he how tall he would have been. How what would have what sir, what would he have been? I can tell you're quite passionate about platitudes. You know, these things we say um, that are really meaningless. In your experience, what what really helped you? Things that people said to you that you can remember that were really uh, comforting and inspiring at the time. Well, one of the things that I've adapted in myself is when somebody has a loss, I would always say, I am sorry that this happened to you. Yeah. Now, that is relatable. Uh, the funny part is, if you say to somebody, oh, I also lost a child, it yeah. doesn't mean a thing, because it's not, this is my child, this is not your child. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But when people say, hey, I care about you enough to say, I'm sorry that this has happened to you, it's come over very genuine. I think contact. If somebody loses a loved one, a husband, a wife, children, contact constant short contact just hey i'm thinking of you hey why, why did you say short because you don't know where that person is because sometimes they don't you know your phone rings you don't want to talk to that person. you don't want to talk to somebody but if they leave you a message and say i'm thinking of you i'm thinking of you i'm praying for you i'm thinking of you and it, it becomes almost irritating but it becomes precious yeah so after this awful experience, mm. did it enrich your ministry uh, towards other people who experienced loss? I think it obviously did because I, I understood where they were and I wasn't trying to change their world um, and try and explain everything away. I had to wait for them and find some connection where I could get their minds to start thinking. And once the mind, once you get that hook into the mind, it's a slow, progressive thing to get to the point where the emotions 
are subservient to the mind. So we have a mutual friend uh, who lost three out of four of her children. Yes. And you were instrumental in ministering to her and her husband. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Um, she, uh, she was devastated. And her husband came to the point where he actually thought there couldn't be a God. And uh, we started, I started helping her to voice and write down her emotions. And said, all right, that's your emotions. Put that one side. Now, what's your view of God? And you're right, that's your view of God. What do you think your view of God should be? And that battle between my view of God and what I think it should be took the emotions off the table for a while. And then information, this, this thing about where is God? And, and if you study the five books I mentioned, uh, they have different answers and very classic answers about how does God deal unseen in our world of pain and suffering. So, so the, the woman I'm referring to, how many children had she lost? She Well, she had one left. She lost three. First one was kicked by a horse and died. Second one died in disease. And the third one in a motorbike accident. She only had a daughter, and she was scared that God was going to take her daughter away from her too. Yeah. So she lived in the fear of losing it. Yes, sir. Warren. Well, I, I just was fascinated by your picture of God and how you saw God. And I don't know whether that was where you ended up or whether you were there at the beginning, but realized that God was suffering the loss just like you were, even to a greater extent. And that, so that, that, that was afterwards. Yeah. Not that night. No, right. And so to me, it would be hard to be angry at a God that you realized was going through the same kind of pain that you're going through. Yeah, it, it made us partners in pain. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've never heard that described that way before, but that is really, that's, I really resonate with that. That's excellent. And, 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 and then knowing that God is almighty and he suffers this pain and he doesn't prevent this pain because it's going to hurt him. Yeah. Because remember, he could prevent it. Right. But he has to sit on his hands and let us suffer in the sinful world and cry and scream and and feel this terrible loss I, I remember i'm a sinner and i i'm used to death but god is not mm -hmm. it, uh, it seems that would even make his um feelings even worse knowing that he has the power to prevent it but because of the restrictions he's placed himself in he's not able to and has to suffer those losses and those pains and, and not only that he placed himself in, but for salvation to work, for this whole earthly experience to, to change, yeah, he yeah. has to suffer every day in heaven. Yeah. That's a beautiful picture of God. I appreciate that. So uh, I'll quote uh, to you. Um, the, pain, the cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that sin from its very inception has brought to the heart of God. Yeah. I think that's what you're describing. No, I think that would be an excellent way of putting it. So yeah. when, when your view of God then changes, not because of your emotions, but because of your thinking, then you, you, you look at life differently. And when your view of life is different, your handling of disasters. I mean, when my wife then dies 20 years later with brain cancer, um, you, you, you're in the same boat. So you have your emotions. You have this, why me, Lord, type of idea. And where are you? And why now? And, but you also have now a better picture of God. So you're, you're uh, jumping back into a real relationship with God or a healing relationship with God. Uh, 
is not that that big a jump. Mm. Uh, suffering a heart attack, getting diabetes. Diabetes was the worst thing in my life after the death of my son. And uh, you you go through the same trauma in a different way and you have to jump back into a view of god that you understand that he suffers because you suffer and that he cannot heal you because he did not promise you eternal life yeah he says you will have problems you will have go through this sin has its effects in your life but i have come and i will be with you until the end i will not leave you no matter how much you suffer and that's first peter First Peter is one of those, the answer in First Peter is that God never leaves us and that God sees our suffering as, as something so perfect. He um, turns that while we think we're down on, on the bottom, we are closer to God than when we, when we have pain because he feels it with us. So how did God reveal himself to you? How did, how did God nurture you through those tragic losses? Well, as I said, you had to, I had to read a bit, uh, quite a bit. Uh, I was busy with my master's degree and, uh, at that time. And I, was, I had to do a lot of studying. And the Book of Ruth was actually one of the books that I had to write some stuff on. And uh, it opened up. This whole can of worms, you know. If you read in in Ruth one, it says, uh, "Don't call me uh, Naomi, which means the sweet one, but call me Mara, which is the bitter one, because full have I moved away and empty I came back. The Lord is against me, or the Lord is and is heavy on me." So once again, Naomi also then feels. And then the book of Ruth goes on to show how God actually works through sexuality, through other people's goodness, out of uh, through laws, through uh, other people's sacrifices, through hard work. That God actually works through these things. And in the end, the last chapter in uh, in, in Ruth, it ends up with this funny quotation. It says. Um, the boy that Ruth uh, birthed is worth you more than seven sons. Well, she's worth more than seven sons. And the boy will be there for your old age. He'll be your pension fund. Don't worry about your future. So she was empty and now she has one girl, which is better than seven sons, and a boy that is her pension fund, mm -hmm. which is the answer to the question, Fool that I go away and empty on now, and God is against me. But it shows that God is not against you because He made you more than full right. at the end. Mm -hmm. And the book of Job tries to do the same. It says he had same amount of children, but double wealth. Yeah. So um, when you lose your wife, or when you discover you have diabetes, um, do you have anger against God? this time or I think I think we cannot cannot grow if you don't recognize the anger to God because you have to as a human being question where is God in the story and in, in that question is this a negative emotion yeah but it's also an excellent chance for you to grow yeah you know it's interesting to me that uh, secular atheistic people when they experience great loss or tragedy they want to know where god was yeah. why did god do this to me yeah. it's like it's right in our dna well, that's the joke that's the joke problem you see yeah. uh, uh, the lord giveth and the lord taketh away yeah um, and and that is, that's why if you ever have that question, read, just read the answer that God gives to Job and you realize who God is, this magnificent, powerful being. Why would he toil with my child? Why would he toil with... It's, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's these stories 
you know, in the Old Testament that are so uh, rich and have so many layers to them. You can peel them back. They're really classic stories. Um, well, that's why they were written, yeah. So well, that that's why we kept them. I <laughs> that's why they were written because I think sometimes we think they are good bedtime stories. I mean, the story of Esther, it's everything but a good bedtime story. Um, uh, especially, you don't want that story to tell your daughter. Um, it's not a very good moral story to tell your daughter um, unless you whitewash it a bit. Um, but once again, it's does God care enough for us will he intervene will he help us to make good decisions even though we made bad ones mm. and they bring good out of bad yeah, yeah. And, and i mean esther hides the fact that she's a, a vegan eating christian and hides that and uh, plays all the other games under a showmanship and then Suddenly she gets caught out and then she has to make a firm decision. Am I going to go to the God which I haven't been serving? And, uh, you know, sometimes we always think that we cannot ask God to help us because we haven't been good enough. And I think the book of Esther says you don't have to be good enough. Ask God and he'll do it. And you don't really need the three days of fasting he will answer it in any case, but three days of fasting will be excellent for you to make firm your decision to ask God. The fasting does not change God, it changes us. Hmm. So right on. Is, is there, were there similarities or differences between the loss of a son and the losses of a wife? The loss of a son is, is horrifying. But I think the loss of a partner really not only cuts the legs off you, and, and you have regrets. Things like, uh, you know, if I knew she was going to die, I would have brought her many times more roses and stuff like that. You have all that. Yeah. There's certain of the rooms of death that are very different with a child. And yet my wife's experience was different because she felt the loss, why did I do that? Why didn't I just hug him? Why didn't I just hold him? Mm. So we're all different. And depending on how, we, where we are, what we are, and what's wrong in our lives depends on how it hits us. So I think it's a, it's a smarty box, all different colors of smarties on it. And every person comes, it hits every person a bit differently. But I think the process is very much the same. Okay. You have to get out of your emotions into uh, understanding, search for that understanding. Try and find people who suffered, who came through that understanding and find out how they did it. Right. But, and, and then forgiveness, I think, is tremendously important. Forgiving yourself, forgiving your... I mean, I had to forgive my wife. I had to forgive God. Um, yeah. You know, forgive God for not intervening in that day. Forgive God for not after my wife was uh, anointed twice. Forgive God for not intervening. Yeah. Because I would want him to intervene. But forgive yeah. him. Say, God, I don't understand why you didn't, but I forgive you. It, and it, that takes away the pain. Was it helpful with the second loss? to because you had a, a change in your understanding about god knowing that he was going through this with you he wasn't against you was that helpful in the second loss very well uh, the second loss obviously was my heart attack and diabetes and stuff like that uh, which was very on my person hmm. and it, um, i had to link them in my mind that they are linked you know it's a loss it's the same thing and then when it came to my wife the, the, the struggle was different for me there because she was losing her mind. Mm. And looking at her not functioning the way she used to, you know, I think about people whose loved ones have Alzheimer's. It's like a death every day because it, that the person that you knew almost dies every day. Right. 
And that makes it totally different. It's, it's a different, but it's the same process and just more intense in the sense of it's constant changing, constant death. Right. Um, and then when death comes, I think there's so much more regret. Couldn't I have done something to prevent or to make it better? Or shouldn't I have done this and this? And, and you have to get out of that. Because if you don't, you can get stuck in that pit. So one last question. Your, your 16-month-old boy, uh, the loss is sudden and quick. Yep. Uh, the loss of your wife is slow. Yep. It's over year two. Well, it was no, actually, it was about three months. Three months. Um, what's the difference between a sudden loss and one that happens over extended time? I, I think the main thing is that the sudden is unchangeable immediately. But the, the looking for an out on the long-term one, is is way more. I, I find my daughter, for instance, with the suffering of a mother, she was Googling everything from A to Z, you know, from uh, pins and needles to voodoo or whatever, anything that could help. So you were trying to find it out constantly. Um, and the emotions just build up and up and up and up, and then it suddenly, boom, ends. So I think a long-term one has, it's more dangerous sometimes because you see the suffering, you see the deterioration, you see and you don't understand because you feel it. So I want to thank you for joining us uh, for this podcast. Um, it's been very impactful. Um, it's an emotional experience for me and I hope it's been, well, I know it will be that way for our listeners. Uh, my mind was triggered by your statement of that God is a partner in our pain. And I was thinking of God's loss of Lucifer, uh, you know, his bright angel, and how he must have grieved over that. And then God's loss of Adam and Eve, you know, when they, they go into this rebellion mode. And then I sort of how Adam and, and Eve must have felt with the death of Abel. Abel, Cain killing Abel. Yes. But imagine how they felt against Cain killing his brother Abel. Yeah, I've never thought of that. Thank you for... I, mean, I, I thought of Jesus' uh, loss of his father's presence. You know, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. Never happened to him before. Nope. And that must have been... And then my mind went forward and I thought of uh, the rebels that will not be saved and how God must feel forever about their determined rejection of himself. Forever. Yeah. Because remember, God cannot forget. So this world is born of loss. Um, but then... In every love relationship you have, you have the potential for horrible loss, but it's still worth loving. Well, it's worth loving, especially if you have a view beyond your disaster. Mm. And that's the, the thing that I would like to mention is that, you know, Queen Victoria put out Prince Albert's clothes until she died. She never moved on. She had his clothes put out every day. There was a plate on the table every day for him because she would not let go. She never moved on. Mm. And I think that one must realize that living is for the living and dead is for the dead. And the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And this idea that we have that we kind of have to hold on to it, to the person that died is this kind of idea, idea that we shall not die. And yet we can hold on to memories and beautiful things without having to hold on to the person itself. Thank you, really. Thank you, Warren. Thank you for sharing, being so transparent. I really appreciate it, Willie. Yeah.
I don't know how transparent I was, but thank you for calling it transparency. Yeah. Um, but if it's uh, it's something that's very that I go through and and very passionate about. Yeah. Well, that came through. Let's pray together, dear God. We know that you're the God of the living and not of the dead, and that in your heart and in your eyes and in your mind, we are alive. And even though we sleep, before you return, you will raise us up. Uh, you were insistent about this, uh, and we are happy to remember it. And we thank you that Billy will see his boy and his uh, loved ones again at your coming. Thank you, Jesus, for making all wonderful, beautiful things possible in your time. We worship you. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us today on this journey to understand the God that Jesus knew. To enable you to share this with your friends, we've developed a website at www.rediscoveringgod.ca where all the podcasts are posted and you can also download a PDF document that gives you the passages that we've been looking at in each podcast that you can review, follow along, or share also with your friends. In addition to the website, you can reach us at rediscoveringgod20 at gmail.com. If you have questions or just would like to share with us, we would be glad to hear from you. Thank you so much. Thank you.